Well, thanks very much for choosing to bring the 20 Schemes Weekender here to Harper. Uh, 20 Schemes is a ministry that I've had a lot of love and respect for, really, since uh, the very beginning. And it was a great time to work with uh, the two Pete's and their gang. Uh, over a few years, I think maybe three years in total, they gathered a whole bunch of folks and took up that whole wing of Harper Church. And then one day, they all disappeared. Uh, we had some great fun, some great challenges. They used to like to make a clown of me every Christmas with their Christmas video. So it was always a bit of a, a horror story as I wonder, what are they going to make me do this year? Uh, just so they could get a laugh out of me. But there you go. As that was coming next, that's it. Well, there's a few videos you could show, I'm sure, and a few photographs over the years as well, but we'll maybe not go there. But uh, so, uh, as I say, thanks so much for bringing the 20 Schemes Weekender here. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate you being here and appreciate the work that you're doing in different communities all across Scotland. We're thankful to God for you and praying regularly for you. Uh, I want to read from Matthew chapter 28 as we get started. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Back in the 90s, I used to work for the council. And it gets worse, it was the housing department. You know, chasing rents and getting neighbour disputes all sorted, all that kind of thing. And uh, I went on a field trip to a housing estate in Newcastle, along with a busload of other folks, and this housing estate was a famous housing estate, famous for all of the wrong reasons. Countless millions of pounds had been pumped into this estate over the years. They'd had full physical regeneration, houses remodeled, new roofs, windows, environmental improvements, you name it, it had been done, and it had all amounted to absolutely nothing. The reason the estate had become a place that folk would come from all over the country to visit on field trips was because despite all of the financial investment, it was still wrecked. The roofs were stolen. Folk stole whole roofs. The, the, the kitchens were ripped out. There was buildings trashed, dereliction everywhere, poverty, crime, addiction, and pain all around. And for a day, I, I sat through a whole range of different presentations on physical regeneration and social regeneration, and economic regeneration, and listening to all that had been done for years, all of the energy, all of the activity that had gone into this estate, seemingly to no avail. And I thought to myself when I was thinking about this preparing today, I wonder what's happening there now. So I quite a quick Google on it. And do you know what they're doing? They're regenerating it again. And so when I got back onto the bus after the presentation, I was chatting with the rest of the folks, and I said, I know what the problem is. You know, they, they follow their youth in some ways. I know what the problem is. And they're saying, what's the problem? I says, well, there's loads of folks doing lots of 
good work. But nobody's dealing with the biggest issue. The biggest issue isn't physical regeneration. The biggest issue isn't social regeneration or economic regeneration. These are all really important things, and I'm not decrying them. They're important things that people need, but they're not the biggest issue because the biggest issue is spiritual regeneration. The people in this community were lost and headed for a lost eternity. They had no hope in this world or the next world, and that was their biggest problem. They were headed for hell. So it was a good opportunity to share faith with my colleagues, but it's right. Spiritual regeneration was what these people needed, was what this community needed, and it was the one thing that nobody was giving them. It wasn't being offered. And you know, the church can make the very same mistake. And it seems to me that the poorer the area, the more we make that mistake. We can give ourselves and our money and our time and our energy to so many good things, so many necessary things, so many important things, helpful things, and forget to do the most important thing, the most needful thing. We can find ourselves doing everything except the thing that the people truly need, the thing that Jesus commanded us to do. And that's why it's so important that we get ourselves clear on what the mission of the church is. That we get ourselves clear on what it is that our churches are to do. It's why it's so important that we get an understanding of God's plan for his church. And so in this session, we're going to be looking at this passage, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. The Great Commission, it's called the Lord Jesus Christ's command to his fledgling newborn church. It's a well-known passage. I guess a lot of you will be aware of the context. But the Lord Jesus Christ has been arrested, tried, beaten, executed. His lifeless body has been taken down from that cross in Calvary, and he's been laid in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Earlier in Matthew 28, we're told of the, the two Marys going along to the tomb to anoint the body. And there's this earthquake and an angel rolls a stone away and announces the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord who was dead and in the grave is now alive. And the women met him. They saw him with their own eyes and they carried his message back to the disciples. And verse 16 tells us that the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. A lot of folk think that There were more than 11 who went to this mountain. See, verse 10 uh, records Jesus saying to the women, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And often in the Gospels when we see that phrase, my brothers, it it tends to refer to maybe a wider group than the, the core 12 or 11 in this case disciples. Some folk even suggest that this event Uh, at the the Great Commission was the event where 500 had gathered. Remember, Paul says there was one time when even 500 were there and saw there is in Lord Jesus Christ. Some folks think this might be that occasion. And so they're gathered on the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, however many there were, and they're there as instructed, and the risen Lord Jesus appears. That one whom they had last seen being arrested and beaten and nailed to a cross, laid in a tomb. He is alive. The Lord Jesus Christ appears before them. We're told that they saw him and they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
I think it's probably most likely that those who doubted just weren't sure that it was him. But as Jesus came closer, as he drew near to them, it became clearer. When, when they saw him, they knew him and they worshipped him right there and then. And then Jesus uh, speaks to them these words that are so incredibly important. It's how Matthew ends his gospel. He's been uh, recording event after event, chapter after chapter, but this is it. This is the pinnacle. This is the the, the peak of it. This is the most important thing that uh, Matthew wants to leave us with. And the passage is so important because in it, Jesus tells his people, tells his church what it is that they're supposed to be about. In it, it, Jesus tells his people what he wants his church to do. There are very many great and good things that the church can do. But here, Jesus focuses on the very few things that the church must do. He gives us his commission. He tells us what we're to be about. He gives us the mission of the church. And so firstly, the local church must submit to the supreme authority of Jesus. The local church must submit to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a huge claim. That's an awesome claim in the, in the true sense of the word. I know I've got a lot of Americans here. You know, hamburgers are awesome in America, right? But, but this is truly awesome, right? This is truly awesome. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All the way through Matthew's gospel, he makes it clear that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who has all authority. Jesus is the one who can walk up to a leprous man who is excluded from society, excluded from community, and touch him and heal him. That's the kind of authority that Jesus has. Jesus is the one who can speak to a paralyzed man at a word and say, rise up and walk. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. Jesus is the one who can be caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee and say, be still, and the, 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 the sea becomes calm in an instant. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. He's the one who can cast demons out of a demon-possessed man. That's the kind of authority he has. Jesus is the one who can forgive sins. That's the kind of authority that he has. Jesus is the one who can heal the dead and rise them again. That's the kind of authority that Jesus has. He can give sight to the blind, speech to the mute. Jesus is the awesome authoritative king of the cosmos. He has lived a perfect life in the world. Which of us can even imagine that? Can we manage a, manage a perfect 10 minutes? Never mean a perfect life? Free from any sin? Throughout all of his life on earth, he perfectly pleased Father God. He proclaimed the glorious good news of the kingdom. He called people to repent of their sins and to turn to him, to trust in him over and over and over and over again. He demonstrates his great power and his great authority. And now he is shown ultimately in his own resurrection from the dead, his own conquering of death. And after three days in the grave, God rolls back the stone. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus can do what he likes and no one can challenge him. His authority extends over all things and over everyone. 
And now, in his resurrection, he is confirmed. And he declares, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What he's saying here is that he is the man of Daniel 7. He, he is the man predicted in Daniel 7. Have a look at Daniel 7 in your Bibles. Flip along and get a look at it. Daniel 7, we're going to read from verse 9. In that passage, we're in the heavenly courtroom. We're in the place of judgment. Judgment is coming. The courtroom is assembled. And we read from verse 9. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that should not be destroyed. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the one who has all authority over everything that ever has been or ever will be. And there is a day of judgment coming when all will stand before him and there will be no more chances to repent, no more chances to turn to him. Those who have been forgiven in Jesus' name will be welcomed into his everlasting kingdom and those who have rejected him will be cast into everlasting torment. Jesus has authority over every living soul. More than that, Jesus has authority over the eternal destiny of every living soul. Listen to how John Piper describes uh, Jesus' authority in his own inimitable style. Listen to this. All authority. He has all authority over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil, over the natural universe, natural objects, and laws and forces, stars, galaxies, planets, meteorites, Authority over all weather systems, winds, rains, lightning, thunder, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, typhoons, cyclones. Authority over all their effects, tidal waves, floods, fires. Authority over all molecular and atomic reality, atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, undiscovered subatomic particles, quantum physics, genetic structures, DNA, chromosomes, authority over all plants and animals, great and small, whales and redwoods, giant squids and giant oaks, all fish, all wild beasts, all invisible animals and plants, bacteria, viruses, parasites, germs, authority over all the parts and functions of the human body, every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across a million synapses in our brains, authority over all nations and governments, congresses, legislators, presidents, kings, premiers, courts, authority over all armies, weapons, bombs, terrorists, authority over all industry and business and finance and currency, authority over all entertainment and amusement and leisure and media, 
overall education and research and science and discovery, authority over all crime and violence and our families and neighborhoods and over the church and over every soul and every moment of every life that has ever been or ever will be lived. There is nothing in heaven or on earth over which Jesus does not have authority. That is, does not have the right and the power to do as he pleases. No wonder Paul was moved to write to the Colossians, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we serve and worship today. And this authoritative king demands that his church go into the world and call people to repent in preparation for the day of judgment. And on that day, that day back here in Matthew 28, on that mountain, the Lord Jesus gave his church a commission. Not a list of things that it might be good to do, but what we must do. And the question is, will the church submit to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and do what he has called us to do? There are many things we might want to do, many things we might like to do, many things that are good to do, but will we do what Christ has commanded us to do? The local church must submit to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the local church must serve the consuming command of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to be confused about what Jesus wants his church to do. He says it very clearly and very succinctly in this passage. What is it he wants us to do? Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's a very well-known verse, but I think I'm a wee bit concerned that it's been somewhat depleted of its impact on the church because I think we always put the emphasis on the word go. I've lost count of the many times I've heard this passage referred to in the missionary context, used to call people to go. Will you go? Will you go? Will you go? Often to overseas mission. Now that's fine, and it's a right thing, a good thing, but I worry that because all of the emphasis is on the go, the unintended consequence is that we don't really think much about what we're to do when we go. And it's just about the going. What we do becomes a bit of an appendage, a bit of an afterthought, as long as we go. But the key thing about the Great Commission is what we're to do when we go. Of course we're to go. But if they go and do, what is it we do? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Teaching them. Teaching them. To observe all that Jesus has commanded. This is our one mandated activity. This is to be our key role. This is our reason for existence. This is to be what we do. And what we do demonstrates the fact that we are Jesus' disciples. We are to make disciples. 
baptizing them, teaching them. That's our task. That's the task of the church. That's our job. Now, as I look at the church in Scotland, there, there are a whole host of other things that seem to have the priority in our church programs. And these are good things, necessary things. It's things like food banks, things like debt advice, things like justice for immigrant communities, after-school care, anti-poverty strategies, creative arts clubs. We have some of these things going on in our church, and I'm sure that in, in your church communities, some of these things will be going on as well. They, they, are, they are good things. But the temptation is that the church takes up all of its time with these other good things. And while they are right things, good things, necessary things, they are not the main thing. That is not what Jesus commanded and commissioned his church to do. And it seems to me that the poorer the community, the more these things predominate. And I'm concerned that there is a danger that we end up with a church version of my Newcastle experience, where we are doing so much for communities, except the one thing, the one thing that meets their greatest need, their need to be forgiven, their need to trust Jesus, their need to be reconciled to him, their need to be adopted into his family, their need to be cleansed of sin, their need to grow and follow in the Lord Jesus Christ all their lives. Whilst these other things are right things and good things and necessary things, they are not the thing that Jesus commanded the church to do here in Matthew 28. The key thing the church is commanded to do is make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And if that is not happening, then all of these other things represent an abandonment of Christ's mission an abandonment of what the church is called to do. But if we are giving ourselves to making disciples, then these other things become helpful and useful additions as we seek to care for whole people. But they are not a substitute for making disciples. They're not a, often they can be a comfort blanket making us think we're doing good and doing busy, when in actual fact we're doing nothing. And so the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And in order to make disciples, we have to be disciples. Accepting the mission is a response to meeting Jesus. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Prior to seeing Jesus, these people were afraid. They were depressed. They were anxious. They were dejected. Their world had collapsed. Their lives had all changed. Jesus is gone. It wasn't until the disciples met the risen Lord Jesus Christ, saw him with their own eyes, that they were consumed with a passion to go and make disciples. Remember, when it came to burying the Lord Jesus' body, it wasn't the disciples that did that. They were gone. It was Joseph of Arimathea. But when they met Jesus personally, it all changed. It was the personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that brought the power to the mission. You have to be a disciple of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. And there are two aspects to this discharging of the Great Commission. We need to reach the lost and we need to encourage believers, one another, to grow and to mature 
and to go on. Evangelism is the first step in the disciple-making process. We proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, His his death and His resurrection to those around us. We encourage unbelievers to turn away from sin and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust Him. And, And that's not a case of getting people just to pray some magic prayers or to stick some hands in the air or even to get bums on the seats. That's not the case. It's a case of making disciples. It's a long-term work. It's a work that takes years. Jesus rescues people from their darkness of their sin and then gives them the honor of calling other lost people to that same hope. When a person becomes a believer, the work is only just starting. And it's the work of teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. It's a long-term work, and it's by that long-term work that God transforms His people through the renewing of their minds, as God bit by bit conforms us to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that looks like in practical terms will be very different from community to community. Different communities with different people we'll need different approaches to the evangelism task. We'll need different approaches to the teaching and discipling task. But the message is the same. The aim is the same. Making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And it's a matter of sheer obedience. The Great Commission, the mission of the church, is a matter of obedience. It's a command that Jesus gives here. He tells us to go and make disciples. That's our mission. He didn't say... Hey guys, if you can take some time out of your fishing business and maybe go make a few disciples, I kind of like that. He, he didn't say if you can maybe squeeze a bit of time out of your busy family life and go make disciples, that'd be good. It's not what he says. Jesus does not recommend the mission. He commands the mission. He demands the mission. It's not an optional extra to the Christian life. It's our one key task. And so our families, our businesses, our work life, our social life, the whole thing needs to be shaped by this gospel obligation. The mission of the church is a matter of sheer obedience. And who is it that demands it? It's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Making disciples isn't an optional extra. It's a command of the Lord. The local church must submit to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The local church must serve the consuming command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, finally, the local church must stand knowing the ongoing presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look at verses 19 and 20 once again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always. I won't leave you alone. I'm with you always. I won't abandon you. I'm with you always, all of the days to the very end of the age. That means yesterday and the day before. It means today, tomorrow, and all of tomorrow's. It means that He was with you in that deepest, darkest day of your life. He was there. He was with you. It means that in the future troubles, He'll be with you no matter what. It means that He will be with you throughout every day of your life 
no matter what it brings. As Christians, as churches, he is with us. When you sit down with that person to tell them of the hope that's within you and point them to Jesus, he is with you. When you sit down with that dear brother or dear sister that's made a mess of it yet again and you're trying to point them back onto the right road, he is with you. He's with us in our discipling, in our baptizing, in our teaching. And he's with us when it's received well and people joyfully embrace it and he's with us when it's received badly and they tell us where to go. He's with us when we serve in long-established church families and he's with us in those first few days of a brand new work on the t- in the toughest place on earth. He is with us. There is not a circumstance, there is not a situation, not a scenario where Jesus leaves us to our own devices. He is with us always. He is with us here in Kenning Park. He's with us in Berlanark and Bailiston. He's with us in Hairstains and Lamb Hill and on Thank, and he'll be with us in Govan also. In fact, I even believe he's with you in Edinburgh. (laughs) And so the local church stands knowing the ongoing presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember who it is that is with us. Whose presence it is. It's this awesome one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's this glorious one who is sovereign over all. It's this immense one whose power knows no bounds. It's this great one whose wisdom is without end. And he is the one who will be with us all of the days. The one who has all authority over every aspect of our local churches and over the lives of our local churches will be with us to the very end. And so we stand We stand knowing the ongoing presence of the Lord Jesus. So we're here today from all sorts of different communities, different backgrounds. We are all part of churches in different schemes, different towns, different villages, different parts of the city. We're in a country where the vast majority of the people are lost in their sin and dying. This great city of Glasgow has 600,000 souls in this city. And 97% of them are headed for a lost eternity, headed for hell. Glasgow's schemes, Glasgow's districts need the Lord Jesus Christ. Glasgow needs to hear that Jesus is Lord and that he saves sinners. And we can give them physical regeneration till the cows come home. And we can plan all sorts of economic regeneration forevermore. We can have more and more food banks and more and more community meals, good though they are. We can have debt advice services all over the city. But if we fail to give them what only a local church can give them, then we will fail catastrophically. Jesus himself, the one who has all authority, gave his church this command, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And that's what we're to do in Plantation, in Berlanark, in Bailison, in Cowinning, and Govan and even in Edinburgh. And Jesus will be with us to the very end of the days. 
What do we need the local churches to be doing? Submit to the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve this consuming command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And stand, and stand, and stand again, knowing the ongoing presence of Jesus. And if you fancy doing that in Govan, let me know. Because <laughs> we need your help. Let's pray. Precious Father, we rejoice in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. We rejoice in the fact that he is the one who has all authority over everything. And we ask, Lord, that you would make us disciple makers. Cause us to, to bleed with the gospel and to desire to proclaim that glorious gospel in all of the different contexts of our lives. Make us churches that, whilst we may do many things, always keep making disciples front and center, at the very core of all that we do. And Father, may your church flourish in this great city of Glasgow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.